So over the last few weeks, because I look around, almost everyone's been here for the last few weeks, Andrew's been introducing us to a number of people from the Old Testament, hasn't he? We started with Abraham a few weeks ago, then we remember that, all the way through the Old Testament. And last week he finished with Daniel. And it's been interesting to see how God has used different people at different times and different circumstances to bring his instructions, to bring his messages to us. And tonight we're going to look at one more Old Testament character, one that you're perhaps not too familiar with. His name is Hosea. Hosea. We're not going to actually have a Bible reading because uh, I'm going to have some readings from the book of Hosea as we go through um, rather than just put it upon you um, at the beginning because it might be a bit difficult to understand some of it. Hosea was a prophet. There are a number of prophets at the end of the Old Testament and Hosea was a prophet. So what's a prophet? What do they do? So you used to often think of a prophet as someone who predicted what was going to happen in the future. They prophesy what was, is going to happen. And that's true. But they do a lot more than that. And as, in simple form, a prophet is someone who receives a message from God and then passes on these messages to God's people. So it's an intermediary there, taking messages from God and passing them on. And there's lots of prophets in the Old Testament who did this. So the task of the prophet is to relate God's message into the situation that the people find themselves in, into the contemporary situation. So it's not just telling them about the future, it's telling them about how they should live now. What God is saying through the current and historical events. And in fact, to some extent, that should be the task of all preachers today and all teachers today, to take God's word, to take God's message and say, how does this apply to me in my life, in this time and this place? These prophets and preachers needed to remind people how they should behave. How they should be behaving because they are God's people. And it's people who have already entered into a relationship with God. And in the Bible, I'm sure you've come across this word, they talk about covenants. Covenants or agreements. People who have, God's people are people who have entered into a relationship with God, who have an agreement with him, a covenant with him. It's a little bit like a, a marriage, where people take vows and promise to be faithful to each other and keep the rules of the relationship. And as we know, uh, we read the Old Testament so often, God's people broke these covenants, broke these relationships. They worshipped other gods rather than the one true God. They treated other people badly. And God said we, should, we shouldn't do that. And so they were told that God would come and judge them 
if they didn't change. To use a, the Old Testament, to use a biblical word, they were told to repent, to turn away from the way that they're living, turn away from these false gods, turn away from cheating people, and go back to the worshipping God in the way that they had originally agreed in that relationship. And often the message of the prophet was to bring people back from their rebellion against God before God punished them. And throughout this book and many of the other prophecies, there's this dual message of love and judgment. God loves his people, but they rebel against him. And sometimes they have to suffer the judgment of God. And then God, by his grace, rescues them and restores them back into that relationship that they had. The prophets sometimes were successful. They preached God's word. Remember Jonah? He went out and preached to Nineveh and the whole city repented. Great. Sometimes the people rejected the prophets. Sometimes the prophets were successful, sometimes they weren't. And sometimes the people had to then suffer the consequences of the judgment of God. So let's now return to the book of Hosea. And we're going to read just a first few verses. So this book of Hosea records the prophecies surrounding Hosea's life. And the book begins with these words. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Biri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Azak, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So that tells us that Hosea had a message from God. He was given a message to pass on. And it also tells us the time when he lived and worked. I know Sarah always likes to know that, don't you? So from these dates of the kings, we know that Hosea lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And he worked and prophesied for about 50 years. So we can work all that out from the dates from these kings there. The prophecies were given by God. They weren't just dictated by God. You know, they, God, they heard God's word and they sat down and they wrote the words out. It was not God dictating words to them. Um, the prophets, in fact, they were more often preachers than writers. They proclaimed their message and it was actually others um, who wrote down what they preached. And God often used the personality and the particular characteristics of a person to convey the message. And sometimes the prophet himself was part of the prophecy. And that was certainly the case with Hosea. We're going to read these next few verses from Hosea. And it's quite an explosive opening. It's quite shocking. It said... When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. 
For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Zeah, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jethu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhana, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Rumana, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. These are quite extraordinary words, aren't they? Imagine you're this young man, Hosea. You're a follower of God, and the voice of God comes to you, a voice that you know well, and clearly speaks to you one day and says, Son, I want you to marry now. You reply eagerly, yes, Lord. Where is she? Who is she? What's she like? You're to marry a prostitute. And she's not going to change because she marries you. Quite a message, isn't it? I'd just like to just watch this little video. It doesn't have any words in it. But just watch what happens and then we'll go on to think about Hosea and his prophecy. Quite a powerful video, isn't it? About a young couple falling in love and then things going wrong. And that seems to be what happened with Hosea. His life became the prophecy. Hosea had to live out the history of God's people in his own life and marriage. His marriage to Gomer was like a parable, a living parable of God and God's marriage, as it were, to his people. So that prophecy of Hosea was God's last cry to his people to come and repent and return back to him and be saved. So God came to Hosea and asked him to do that very difficult thing. I want you to marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful to you but to whom you are nevertheless going to be faithful. You will love her, but she will disgrace your love. I'm asking you to do this because it's like I'm going to present a play or a pageant. It's about marriage. It's going to be symbolic. It's going to be an object lesson about my relationship with my people. He is the cast for the play. Hosea, you're going to play the part of God. And Gomer is going to play the part of God's people. 
And the reason she is going to run away and be unfaithful is that this is the way that my people act in the spiritual marriage that I've established with them. You are going to be faithful just like I am faithful, even although she may dishonor your name. In the same way as Hosea's love for Goma had been rejected, so God's love for his people had been rejected. So I think this book here gives us a bit of a glimpse of something of the character of God, doesn't it? God cares for his people. He provides for them. He loves them even when they don't love him. Even when they don't return his love. And just like Gomer did to Hosea, we often throw God's love back in his face. Gomer left Hosea, first of all for pleasure, and then material things, you can read about it in the book there, the material things that our lovers provided. At the time of Hosea, the people were worshipping a false god, Baal, and they believed that Baal was the one who was giving them all the prosperity. They worshipped Baal because of the things they thought they could get back from him, just like prostitutes. In chapter 2, there's actually uh, a picture there of Hosea who's actually doing the providing for his wife. But she thinks it's one of her lovers who's providing the things for her and not Hosea. Does God really act like that towards us and provide for us even when we're running away from him? And behaving badly? The answer in the Bible here and in this story is that yes, he does. God loves us even when he is rejected. As we began this service, we looked at these words. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Paul later reflected on this and he said, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God continues to show his love in this story of Let's turn over to chapter 3, and there it says, The Lord said to me, that's Hosea, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and she's an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, his people. Though they turn to other gods and they love the sacred raisin cakes. That's to do with the, the worship of Baal. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of lethic of barley. Then I told her, you're to live with me for many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I'll behave the same way towards you. So here we have Hosea going back again and buying his wife at the marketplace as a slave. She's been soiled. She's been degraded. She's been rejected by everyone. And the way that the words are indicated there, it looks as if Hosea had to scrape together everything he owns, it's shekels plus these other bits and pieces, to make up a bargain lot. 
we learn here that Hazira is experiencing at a human level what God is experiencing at a divine level. A few centuries later, another would give his all for our salvation. Jesus, as it were, bought us as slaves at the market. He bought us with the price of his own life. He gave his all to buy us. It was as if he says, I bid the price of my blood. And later on in the New Testament, Peter and both Paul pick up this thought in the letters that they wrote. They use this strange word, ex agro zo. Agora is actually the marketplace. And so they use this word about being bought out of the marketplace. And then our scriptures, that's the word redeemed. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us. He bought us back out of the marketplace as a as a, a, slave, a soiled slave in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You know that you were not purchased with such things as silver and gold, but you were redeemed with the, from an empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You are not your own, you are bought with a price. The good news of the New Testament tells us that God in Christ has opened up a way of reconciliation for us. Those who are enemies, those who are unfaithful to him, can be forgiven and have their relationship with him restored. Those who were unfaithful to him by having other things in their life that were more important than their love for him can be forgiven. Those in effect who had prostituted themselves and trusted in other things again can come and be ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Listen to some more words from further on in the book of Hosea. It says, Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruits of our lips. Yes, we have all been unfaithful to God. This God that we've been joined together in a, a spiritual marriage, as it were. He courted us, he won our love. And as it were, we brought us to that point where we exchanged our spiritual vows. I, Jesus, take thee, sinner, to be my wedded wife. I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful saviour and bridegroom in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and health, for this life and for eternity. And we looked up to him and said, I, sinner, 
take thee, Jesus, to be my Saviour and Lord, and promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be thy loving and faithful bride in plenty and want, in joy and in sickness, in sorrow and in health, for this life and for eternity. We took his name and became his. Before we were Miss Sinner, but now we are Mrs. Christian. Now we must be careful not to do anything that would damage the reputation of his name. That's a wonderful picture, I think, there of becoming a Christian, isn't it? It's offering our commitment to Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for all things, for the forgiveness of sin, for all things in this life and the next, to, and to honour him and to make sure his name is not sullied. Just as, as we finish, I'm going to, I know I've gone on a long time, especially with that video. At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, there's a beautiful picture of a wedding. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Jesus and his people, the church, are finally united in an eternal, faithful relationship. Sin will be removed. There will no longer be any unfaithfulness. God and his people will be in perfect, loving relationship. For us imperfect followers of Jesus, that's a time, isn't it, that we look forward to with great joy. Let's pray for a moment.